In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by John Augustine, a former Los Angeles campus ministry leader who dissects the pros and cons of some of the central elements of campus ministry culture and helps paint a healthier picture for what college church culture could be. This week's conversation is based around the topics and themes in chapter 12 of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first-time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and today I am joined by a very special guest, my brand new friend, John Augustine. John, first off, before I say anything else, thank you for coming on. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Really happy to be here. I love the work you're doing. I'm really grateful to be a part of it. Great. Thank you so much. So first things first, you and I were a part of the same church at different times, although I think maybe... There was a period of time there of a couple of years that we did overlap in our times as, as members of that church. Uh, you and my parents go way back. That's how I got in contact with you. Uh, we met for the first time two days ago on the phone. Mm-hmm. And right. now you're on the podcast to have this conversation because this conversation, which we'll get into, is all about college experiences and campus ministries. And this is based off of chapter 12 of my book titled Running on Empty which uh, we'll get into the relevance of that, of that title. But I do want to say that, yes, of course, I wanted you on this because you have a lot of experience leading and being in campus ministries, which we'll get into. But also, I think it's important to note that a major reason is that we are both Bruins from UCLA. Yeah, go Bruins. But other than that, I'm not going to share anything else for you. So why don't you give us a general overview of yourself and your background particularly in regards to church and faith and your involvement with college and campus ministries as a whole. Happy to do it. I have to start off by a little bit of a disclaimer on the UCLA front, say, saying that we are from different generations. And when yes. I gained entry into UCLA in 1989, it was far easier to get into the school. So you have my respect and esteem <laughs> All and right, yeah. values, my friend. Okay. Uh, I, did, I did possess a certain talent in music that enabled me to have a door open that maybe would not have otherwise been open. So it was not yeah. on academic merit alone. But as I mentioned, started UCLA in 1989. I joined a church on campus in 1991, and I had been invited to this church. I'd grown up a little bit sort of bi-religious. There were times where I was, times where I wasn't, and I had some really pretty dramatic experiences in high school through a church I grew up with uh, or grew up in in West LA. I grew up in Santa Monica, California. And so I was always craving a depth and a validation that from what I believed at the time in the Bible and, and God and what my role was in everything, I, there was a deep craving inside me to satisfy, well, to answer the question, am I legit? Am I really a Christian? Am I doing enough? And I had partied, I joined a fraternity in college. I, you know, not that any of those things are mutually exclusive to being a Christian, but I definitely had a conflict in my soul as a 19 year old man. And when I met this church, I saw men and women, young men and women, my age who were socially adept, who had a lot going on, who were academically impressive, who were serious about God. They're serious about church. Church was 
vivacious and I was really attracted to it. And so it was the first time, maybe not the first time, but it, one of the very first times that I looked at people my age taking faith seriously. And I thought, I think I could do that too. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where it started. And ultimately did a number of Bible studies and eventually got baptized, which was you know, for this particular congregation meant that was my membership initiation. Yep. And that was in 1991 at UCLA. And uh, I joined what was really a vibrant campus ministry. There was, as we were talking before, 60, 70 people on the same college going to the same church, having gone through the same Bible studies. It was very intoxicating and it was fun. And my yep. life completely changed at that point. I, I, everything that I wanted to do changed. My my desires for my future, for my career, everything changed at that point. So I'm sure we'll talk more about those specifics, but that's kind of the background. That's amazing. So I already obviously relate because so for my story in this same chapter, I, in my freshman year, well, it was a little bit different because you found that ministry through going to UCLA I was already a part of that church wider organization growing up. So when I went to UCLA, I was just immediately plugged right into it. Mm-hmm. It was also, it was a lot smaller when I was going coming around. It was maybe, maybe 12 of us, uh, mm-hmm. 12 core people throughout those four years or two and a half years that I was there consistently. But yeah, it's very interesting. So upon graduation and your shift into a more leadership role, in campus ministry. Just can you give us a whole context about that situation? Sure. It, it happened well before graduation. When I talk okay. about shifting career you know, desires and trajectories and such, it really had to do with the the culture of the ministry was there was a positive peer pressure, I'll call it, even though you know it wasn't all positive. We'll talk some about some of that stuff. But there was this sense of if you have any charisma, any leadership capability at all, you are quickly going to be tasked or deputized as a student leader. And that happened to me very quickly. You know, I, I came on board and I joined this church and I'm a really social person sure. and I'm a musician and a performer. And so I kind of light up when the lights are on. And I think all of that was valued. And like I said, there, I really had this itch to prove that I was the real thing. And, you know, a lot of kids my age, 18, 19, are looking for father figures when they're in college, right? I mean, I was I was collecting father figures by this point. <laughs> I had I had a drama teacher that was a father figure. I had a voice teacher that was a father figure. I had uh, a guy who was a graduate student opera singer, my buddy Alex Cariotis, who became like a big brother to me. So there was a craving that I had to be fathered, but also to be a father, to be a leader, to be a big mm-hmm. brother. And so the idea of leadership at such a young age was so appealing. And I used the word intoxicating earlier because I was under the influence. I was in a culture that said, oh, you have talent. What that means is you should go into the full-time ministry. And so almost immediately, and I'm not even, this is no exaggeration. By the time I got baptized and joined the church, I had already recalibrated my whole future. I said, I'm I'm not going to pursue music as a career. It's to use the the verbiage of the time. It's worldly. It's yeah. it's something that's going to ruin my spirit and, and my soul. What I should be doing with the talents that were given to me at birth is being in the full time ministry. That's that's the only, not only the only desire I should have. It was really the only path that was recommended for someone you know like me. So I quickly was making new alignments for my future. I was talking to 
fellow music majors saying, I'm not going to pursue music. And they're like, you know, these people outside of the church. Yeah. And I said, You're, are you crazy? What do you, you know? And, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. And, and I remember at the time, actually, when I was just getting ready to get baptized, there was a mission team being sent to Milan, Italy. Mm-hmm. And I'm, my, my heritage is I'm half Italian and half Polish. And I really like to lean into the Italian side because, you know, at the time I thought it was so cool. And so I, re- I actually raised my hand to go on this mission team. I'm like, Sam, I'll leave school. I'll go to Milan. Let's go. I'm all in. Heck, I'm heck yeah. Out. <laughs> yeah. You know, now I wasn't, it wasn't an option. I wasn't chosen. It was, you know, fortunately, one of the better, one of the best pieces of advice I did receive with when I was in the church was John, no, don't leave school. He should finish school. All right. Okay. So fast forward, by the time I graduate, I had planned on going to the ministry. I made no plans to go to pursue any other career. Now, I graduated in June of 94, and in May of 94, I was told two things. Number one, you're not ready to go in the ministry. Your character is not quite developed enough yet. There's still some things about you that really aren't well suited for the ministry you got to work on. And number two, even if there were an opportunity, you know, or even if you were ready, there is no open slot. So I quickly got a job in radio advertising sales in Westwood, and uh, within about five months, a position opened up at Santa Monica College, and uh, I went into the ministry full-time and started to work in the, in the ministry there. And then from there, it was UCLA, then UCLA, then USC, and then it was some other non-campus ministry for about 10 years full-time. So, I mean, so you have really made your rounds. How many years in total were you in, like, uh, in charge of or I don't know, in different campus ministries? Well, uh, you know, in when I was in college, there was leadership positions. We broke this group of 60 or 70 people up into what we called zones. There was a gold zone and the blue zone because of blue and gold and then the white oh, zone. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, and so I was leading one of those zones as a student. But then five months after graduation, 94 until 2003, was, you know, different campus ministry leadership full-time. And then also there was a big, what we called a region within our church, about a thousand members that I was in charge of, uh, my family and I was in charge of for, for quite some time that included campus ministries. So Westwood, UCLA, Santa Monica College, West LA. And then we moved, I joked at the time after having been at UCLA as a student leader and full-time leader, I one time said, if, if God wanted to test how sold out I was, and that was, you know, that was a term in our church. So it sold out meant like You'll give up everything. You'll go anywhere. You'll do anything. That was kind of a, that was the test. That was a litmus test refrain. Right. And I said, well, if I, if I'm really sold out, if God wants to test me, he would send me to USC, the land of the, the, yeah, (laughs) the Trojans. And he did like I, or, you know, the church decided that we were going to go there. So I changed my wardrobe. I got all this (laughs) USC gear. I learned the fight song, you know, because to be a good campus minister back in the day, especially you had to really get into the school and. So that was 97 uh, that our family moved over to lead USC. You became a traitor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I told the students, I said, look, you won't respect me. There's one day a year. I will not root for the Trojans. You have to respect me. Then we're playing against the Bruins. I will, I will flip. But uh, yeah, that was 97 to USC. And then the affiliated ministries there were like Cal State LA, East LA College, LA City College. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, so you've really made your round. So I, I'm, I love, I love that. I was able to get in contact with you to be on this episode and you're willing to do it because I feel like the insight for the conversation is going to be really, really valuable for anybody who's had a college campus ministry experience, whether they are way older and went through college decades ago 
or they are my age or younger than me, having just come out of college or are still in college right now and are maybe trying to figure out their place in it and what they're thinking about it or if they had gone through a couple years ago, like trying to process exactly the good and maybe the not not so good and just trying to figure out where they stand with it, which is where I was when I wrote this chapter. Yeah. And of course, I'm also really curious just for myself to see kind of the comparison and contrast of the similarities, which I'm sure there are a lot are going to be a lot of, and the differences, which I'm sure there are going to be some too, of same campus ministry context, same college, but a difference of, you know, 15, 20 years. So the very first question I want to ask you kind of overall is in your experience from the time you joined campus ministry to the time you ended leadership, what were some of the most positive aspects of the campus ministry experience and what were some of the most negative? By far the most positive aspect is the people. Just yeah. the incredible amount of people who have been conditioned to be selfless. There's something that you can't replace that by anything. When folks have attended three, four, five meetings a week yeah. to, and to, to sit at someone's feet and receive instruction in a posture of humility and wanting to learn, there's a ton of negative about that for sure. But one of the positives is it breeds this selflessness and it breeds this kind of everybody is there for one another feeling. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, friends to this day, folks who are beautiful people inside the church, outside the church, even though leaving the church presents it's a huge, huge, huge social problem for a lot of folks, as it did for me. But by far, the people and the diversity, too, like the, yeah. this was not white church, black church, Asian church, Latino mm-hmm. church. Like it was just so you would some, I would sometimes look around and go, yeah, this is precisely what God would want. If you were to design a society it would look like this. And so that was yeah. exciting. Also, just the deliberate growth. Like if you think about how it's so uncommon for folks at that age or folks of any age to say, yeah, I'm going to go to a meeting once a week, much less five times a week, and listen to a lecture, which is really what it is, take notes and try to grow. I mean, that's the character growth that I experienced. And with this is like the father figure, the big brothers, the sisters, the the mother figures that that I inherited as part of the culture of the church, just learning how to be a dad, a husband, like all this stuff that most of us coming from homes that maybe we don't want to replicate. There were so many good examples. It was, it was again, intoxicating just to be part of all that. And so there's so much of that that I carry with me to this day, undoubtedly. The people, the growth, the, the experience, and the father figures, it's just it's really incredible. It's a unified group of very good-hearted, genuine, in my experience, mm-hmm. people who are, who are unified in a, in a, des- in a shared desire, a yeah. shared direction, which is... It goes a long way, especially in college where many, many people come in having no community, having no idea what direction. And that mm-hmm. kind of satisfies two really strong longings and feelings in that place in your life. One of the measures of that, that collective unity that you're talking about is if you've ever moved if you, an apartment to, you know, or to a house, everybody's moved. When you were part of the church, you knew you had a moving crew. Like, yeah. that's the test, yes. right? You never had to wonder, are people going to show up with a truck? Man, you, you had dozens of people. It was announced at church at midweek, like, hey, we're moving. 
and 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 when you lose that that's where the disorienting thing comes you go oh my gosh what i had was so unique it was so mm-hmm. different you know? and and perhaps that kind of goes into the negative side when when i when i think of that exact element that we're talking about the the taking on of a new identity and being part of a group and being selfless and a big 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 part of the church that you and I come from was this refrain of self-denial and carrying your cross. You know, there's a lot of scriptural references to Jesus saying, hey, if you're going to follow me, you're going to take up your cross daily and follow me, which means there's a an ongoing conditioning to be selfless. Think of yeah. others first. It manifested in so many ways. Hey, if you show up to church on a Wednesday night and you're burdened because finals are coming or you're sick or you're just not feeling it, hey, man. Don't be selfish. Give hugs. Think of them. You know. So, again, it creates an incredibly intoxicating culture to take in, but it also breeds an amazing lack of regard for one's self. Mm-hmm. And I look back at myself in those years, and I know there were other people that ha- there were more self-realized at that age than I was. They they had more of a a sense of who they were, and I envied them even. But I fully took on the identity of the church, fully took on the identity of a leader of the church. And I developed a habit that haunts me to this day, which is to not think about myself, to put other people's emotional needs way above mine. And it doesn't mean that I'm saintly like that. I'm not meaning at all to paint that picture, but it's not my instinct. I'm an empath already. So sure. my, my radar is always up, but who's feeling what? And I'm always trying to adjust and make people comfortable. And so the sense where you could, you could take self-denial, to it, it, that culture can turn you into someone who you don't really know who you are. Mm. And the abandonment of career uh, entirely for the sake of going into the ministry, that, that peer pressure, I mean, there, it was a measure that we used. There, there were folks who didn't want to go into the ministry, who had leadership capabilities, and we would pressure those folks. I felt mm-hmm. the pressure like, wait, you don't want to go into ministry? What's wrong with you? You must be hiding something. There must be, you know, and that to me is a real, real danger. If you think about what the world needs, you know, the world needs self-actualized, fully themselves, sure, selfless, humble, spirit-led, spiritual yeah. people, but not just thousands of ministers, <laughs> like we, we need. Right. right. So, you know, the idea of painting everything outside of the church as worldly and everything inside the church as godly, that's a real, in my mind, what I've come to realize, it's such a small way of seeing the world. It's, mm-hmm. it's limiting. It's, it's a scarcity mindset. And I, I see that now, and I look back and I have regrets of, not looking at people just as themselves, as individuals, but being more, hey, man, you got you to gotta submit to the will of the group here. This is what the group does. This is what we do because the culture was so, so strong. Uh, lastly, I'd say that the separation, it's, it's more collateral damage, but the separation of myself from close friends and or family that had no interest in the church. Hmm. It, I, I never remember it being a stated fact from a pulpit or a meeting where it's like, all right, you need to not spend time with your family or you need to not spend time with people. Well, sometimes not spend time with people in the world, as we would say, you know, we would yeah. make a real, a real fine, a, a hard line between the world and, and the kingdom of God. Right. 
But it, there was just this collateral reality. I think of the years that I was so close to my physical family and I didn't spend time with them because I was so busy with the church's agenda and, and doing ministry because in my mind, that's what mattered. The ministry, yeah. you know, time is short, you know, seek first the kingdom. And, and so I was just connected with this fraternity brother of mine last week and he was talking about being in my kitchen in 1991 with my other fraternity brother, David. We pledged together. It's fraternity's Phi Beta Sigma. And Antonio is my friend's name. I'm sure he doesn't mind me saying his name. <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah, I remember being in your kitchen and telling you, all right, John, I'm happy for you. I'm happy that you found God and that you're all about the Bible. You can stop trying to get me to go. Like, I'm, I'm not coming. <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm, I'm good. good. I'm good. But that separation, because, you know, ultimately it just meant that, hey, my whole life now is going to be about the church. So I don't really have room for you, friend of mine, who sure. I thought I would die for, or friend of mine that I grew up with who's in my hometown that I haven't talked to because I'm so busy. So that that's more collateral damage that that I, I've seen now as a, as a 51-year-old man. I'm, I'm reconnecting with so many folks who I lost touch with in those years that for no other reason than just my life was dominated by the church. That's, that's what went down. You've already touched, I think each of those three or four things you touched on are specifically outlined at some point in my book or sometimes in this chapter and in this conversation as well. Hey, I'm so might be onto something. resonant, unfortunately, right? Maybe we're on the right path here. <laughs> you were talking about going into ministry versus other vocations. And yeah. the, the thought I had was the way it was viewed, at least in, in my church growing up, was that instead of, oh, there's all these different branches of the tree of different vocations and ministry is one of them. It was, these are all branches you can go off to, but those who have potential, mm. there is this higher branch a little bit with some better fruit that you can have the option to go towards. And thus for those that maybe don't have quote unquote potential, you know, that uh, gauged by your leaders in your church. Usually if you had the potential to do that, if you didn't have the potential, that's okay. Then do these other professions. Make sure you're right. good whenever you do. If, if we look at you and tell you you have potential to be a leader here and you decide that's not for me, then no matter what you do, you're somehow inadvertently underperforming in what you could be doing. You're choosing right. a lower status and a lower opportunity and doing just short of what God would really want for you because mm -hmm. this is a door that opened and you're not taking it, which you know, is a problem for a plethora of reasons. But Well, it's a caste yeah. system. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a caste system de facto because it's, again, probably not stated implicitly, right. but it most definitely became the truth that where ministry was esteemed to the point where it was almost like you enjoyed, forget almost, you enjoyed celebrity status. Sure. And you could abuse that. There were wonderful people in the ministry, people I modeled myself after who stayed true, who didn't let some of the stranger elements of our church, some of the methodologies that were frankly super controlling and weird and yeah. culty. Like there, there were folks who managed to not embody those things. And, but I, I'll tell you, they were the exception. Mm -hmm. When you, when you tell a 19, 20 year old, like, Hey, you can be in charge of these people and their, oh, eternal, man. their, their eternal destination. And it's what God uh, wants for you to do it's that. It's what God wants for you. Here's the keys. <laughs> Again, intoxicating. So you're right. This, this, I shudder to think of the folks who I counseled and also I witnessed being counseled to, to just lay down their career uh, passions 
because they want to be part of that higher cast, man. We, you know, we, and, and again, it wasn't malicious. It was folks going, Hey, we imagined our church was going to multiply to the point where it like took over the world. And so the forward thinking plan was we need ministers because it's just going to grow indefinitely. And so we're going to need, so it's, you get caught up in that. Um, but to your point, like, but what actually happened? Well, but you know, 30 years later, the ministry is at 10 people at UCLA. So that didn't exactly come to fruition. And uh, yeah, I, I can't help but think of, of a caste system along those lines. And that's really accurate. I mean, it's taking over. It's not, oh, we're going to take over the world. It's taking over the world for God. This is God's yes. realm. We're doing a good thing, which yeah. on paper is. In theory, is. Totally. In actuality, is. But in certain contexts, in the way that's applied, maybe not. And this kind of goes into one of the, the negative aspects for me personally, that I experienced, and you mentioned five meetings a week, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're yeah. not you're not exaggerating. No. One thing I talk about is, and that I really noticed off the bat, my first week at UCLA as a freshman was not necessarily specifically in my campus ministry, but just in the college campus culture as a whole, was the intense desire of every student to want to do something and do something meaningful and impactful and powerful and. Sure. And we're the next generation taking the world over. And so what are we going to do? And there's, you walk down the main front walkway on campus and there's 50 booths every day for different yeah. organizations and clubs. They're all with good goals and missions. And I said, my book, I said something along the lines of college students all really want to do something. And so yeah. do Christians. So when you get college students that are also Christians, yeah, I think you can fill in the blank. It's, People with an intense desire, genuine desire, good-hearted desire to do good. Yeah. But that can, in my experience, result in really rigid scheduling. Okay, so I'm going to go through this. Five meetings a week. That would be the Sunday service. Sometimes the college students would have an hour thing before that, an hour early on Sundays to meet. Uh, And usually there's, there's a Sunday lunch after with some leader. That was less formal, but you had to be there sometimes. There were usually two campus-specific, at least in my experience, campus-specific small group devotionals, which you would meet up on campus with just, your, just our UCLA students and have a small group Bible discussion. There were two of those a week. There was a, a Wednesday night midweek with our campus plus the three others in our region. There was a Friday night Devo, usually somewhere, and then mm-hmm. sometimes a Saturday get-together that was you know either a sports day or something fun, which sure. is fun, but still... These are all on paper, very good things because their community, their mm-hmm. encouragement, usually you feel, usually when you come in and leave in the best case of scenarios, you're, you're, you feel good because you were with community and good friends and Bible encouragement, whatever. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the negative aspect of that though is first off in the context of we're college students, our lives mm-hmm. are hectic and stressful yeah. and we have papers and homework and relationships and friendships and trying to get jobs and finances and tons of Mm -hmm. stuff that we're trying to figure out. And then on top of that, it's, it would be okay almost if there were these five optional things and show up to whatever you want. It was said, come to whatever you can usually, but if you ended up not being able to, you would feel the pressure and you would feel the shame. A lot of times I remember I, this is where my title comes from running on empty is, in my freshman year, 
I came into this already going through a lot of stuff in my spiritual life. Life in general with my church, coming into this, really needing a breath of fresh air. I'm like, okay, college is my chance for a clean slate and a breath of fresh air and some peace and some quiet to get some new friend groups and really kind of find some comfort. And it was the exact opposite. Unfortunately, it was, oh, okay, now you got all these new classes and new direction, career path, and here is this church that you need to show up to everything. You need to bring a guest to everything. You need to, you need to make mm. sure you are just there. And mm. I, I really wanted to make a good impression and show these people that I hadn't met before that, oh, I'm a good Christian. I've been a Christian sure. my entire life. I know these things. Sure. So I need to show Absolutely. up to show them that I'm here to show up for this cause because I care. Yeah. And that lasted for a year. And then I remember the night, the night that I didn't show up to my first my first midweek I didn't go to. I was just not, and what may not have helped my cause was it was no, for no strong reason, which should be okay. But right. I just yeah. wanted to stay home. I was tired and I wanted to read a book and do some homework. And I said, not for me tonight, guys, I can't. And I got a call in the middle of this midweek service from one of my roommates who was the same age as me, but for whatever reason, the guy who makes the call he right. called me He'd saying, been assigned to, right. to look after you in a For way. Because yeah. he was my roommate and he was like, that's the guy who's been around longer. I don't know, whatever. Uh, and he said, bro, where are you? And I said, I'm just at home. And he said, okay. And kind of hung up really quickly. And it was not an oh, okay. It was oh, okay. Hang mm. up. Mm. And I felt, uh-oh, what's coming? And within two <laughs> days, he came into my room, barged into my room unannounced and said, hey, just to let you know, no previous context, no conversation, barge in. Just to let you know, FYI, I talked to the, the leader, the, the main pastor of our ministry, and he told me that I am now your discipler, which if you listen to this podcast or if you've gone to this church, you know that word basically means I've been given, in the harshest context, it means I have been given, granted some, some kind of spiritual authority over you. Where if yeah, some watchmanship. Yeah, Exactly. And, and in the best case scenario, it's taken as, Oh, I'm a peer that is giving you to you to help you along the way of accountability and guidance. But this case, it was clearly because, oh, they knew I wasn't showing up. Oh, I must be straying off the path. Oh, I need someone to put me in my place. So all that to say, this ministry schedule, rigidity, what are your thoughts on all this? What's your experience with campus ministry? Do you agree? And if so, (laughs) why? (laughs) Well, I want to validate the schedule for those who may be a little incredulous right now when we say five times a week. So the schedule that you just articulated, if you're in leadership, if you've been chosen to be a leader, which you probably were and most folks with, you know, are are quickly put into that cast. Sure. That means the Sunday afternoon leadership meeting too, probably at the pastor's house or somewhere. So you got your Sunday morning. Then you got a lunch. It's just kind of understood. Like if you bow out of lunch after church, that means you're probably being selfish and you don't care about the visitors that came. So if you love God, you'll be there. You know, so so that's like, let's say 7 a.m. And pro- you may have had like a prayer time or we call it quiet time with someone else that morning to get ready for it. So like your 7 a.m. to 1.30 to 2 is like done, like spoken for right. every week. Then you're probably going to be at a leaders meeting at three to three o'clock, five o'clock at a pastor's house or a leader's house. So that's two meetings that take up, you know, two thirds of a day. Your midweek service, your Friday night devotional, your Bible study on campus, one or two that you had. And Saturday night for us, I don't know what it was like for you, but in our time, it was such a heyday of like so many people that in our ministry, there was just an understanding that you're going to go on dates with people like non-romantic dates, Mm -hmm. leading to romance, like 
if you weren't on a date on Saturday night, something, something's off. Encouragement dates, what we yeah. called them. Oh, there you go. Perfect. So seven days in a week, you've got at least four of them spoken for, period. And if you're doing a Bible study with someone individually and what right. you mean, I mean, you, so I want to, I want to make sure folks know that you're not being hyperbolic when you say the schedule. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you. The person who called you and then barged in, in your room two days later, Yeah, would that person have acted in that way alone? Or did it require someone in authority to assign them and make them feel like that was the right thing to do? That's a good question. I think it's a mixture of both because up until that point, we had been roommates for like a couple months and I just met him for the first time. And I already immediately was talking to my friends about, okay, this guy is on my back and he's waiting for an opportunity because he wants oh, that a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. then it, it was the, then, I don't know if it was him approaching the leader and asking or the leader talking to him, or it's them talking and saying, hey, maybe you'd be a disciple. I don't know. But right, you could tell right. he, he, he probably was looking for the opportunity as well. So he, kind of, he was of the type that relished in that, in that. Okay, and I asked that question because for me, being more empathic by nature and easygoing, that, that's very unnatural for me to have that conversation. I think many and, are too, yeah. Yeah, and so in order for me to act that way, I would have to have been instructed, hey, John, man, you need to, you need to check up on Austin. Oh, okay, what should I say? Well, tell him he needs to get committed and find out why he wasn't here and, and yeah. give him a good talking to. Like, you might need to rebuke him was a word. Yep. <laughs> was, oh, yeah. Know. So when I was in college, I didn't, we didn't have cell phones yet. This is back in the olden days. And I have a very similar story about a Sunday morning that I missed. Oh. And I was not being as good as you. I mean, I'd missed it for what would have been seen as incredibly worldly reasons. I didn't go to a Sunday service, which is, you know, even more than midweek. Like, oh, That's you, the you, biggest you. cardinal sin. Yeah, yeah, and I had a I had a digital answering machine, and I remember coming home, and I think the number was there was seventeen messages on my answering machine, oh my all God. people calling and checking on my whereabouts, yeah. and what I what I interpreted at the time, it's funny, I retold the story back then, as me being in the wrong and them being in the right, mm-hmm. and saying look how much these people care, right, and, and and then comparing that to other churches, like, and this this is one of the other negatives is like is being condescending towards other church groups that aren't as hardcore as we were. Like we were like the Marines and everybody else was like the air force or the coast guard by comparison. Like we were like, like, Oh yeah, you could go to your little Presbyterian church and not show up and no one's calling you. It's like, well, yeah, because they're uh, not weird. (laughs) That's so funny. So to answer your question. Yeah. I think you know where I stand on this. Uh, I, I recall something very similar. We have midweeks on Tuesday nights. And I was studying music at the time, and my voice teacher created this schedule where every Tuesday night for just a time, I think it was one quarter or just a couple months, he was going to have what's called a master class where he would have professional singers come in, and all of his students were expected to show up, be prepared, sing, you know, get some feedback and input in in the art community, as you all know. I mean, that's a big master class is a big deal. And so I was presented with this huge dilemma. I'm graded by this voice teacher, I'm studying voice. This is my major. And I went to some of my, you know, my colleagues within the church, my, the brothers and sisters, what should I do? Like, well, you got to go to church. Yeah. Like, well, what do I, I'm going to fail this class. Like, you need to talk to that guy. I mean, you, you've got to be, you got to be like a prophet, man, stand your ground. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so I stood my ground with my teacher. He said, absolutely not. Then you're going to fail my class. And it was awful. And, and then I, in a, in a st- stroke of luck. I just said, well, can we make a concession? Like, could I maybe attend 
other things. And, and we actually worked something out where I didn't go to his master class. I went to my church and I still got, you know, a, a good grade in his, in that particular course. Yeah. Now, several things happened there. Number one, I'm operating way outside of my natural self. I'm going like, sure, yeah. I don't want to miss this. Number two, I'm, I'm seriously, seriously putting my career path in jeopardy by doing this. And, and I was on scholarship at the time, which mandated that I was in good standing specifically with this, you know, this specific behavior. And lastly, I interpreted, I interpreted the whole thing of like good versus evil. Like I, we were the good, my teacher was the evil, we were the light, he was the dark, and he was trying to you know, lessen my light in a sense. And so pull when, you away almost. Yeah, pull me away. Mm -hmm. And so in the successful negotiating of Tuesday night uh, concessions, it was spun by me and my peers as look at what God did. Like God had the victory. Mm. And then that story was perpetuated and magnified and, and multiplied. And, and it became a template that I used for other people who were in similar mm. situations instead mm -hmm. of really paying attention to like, wait a minute, tell me about this Tuesday thing and being more reasonable from that point on, because of this external force that, you know, really manipulated me, honestly, to, to behave in that way. Now I in turn perpetuated that same thing with folks that I had authority over really for many years in the ministry after that, where that was, that was my template. Um, and so it's it, the disregard for the individual narrative over, you know, or that being under the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom, Matthew six thirty three. I mean, that was, that was such a, a, a very handy scripture to use for moments like that over and over and over again. And to your point, it, it just, there were other people who were less, uh, acquiescent as I was, yeah. you know, who either said, you know what, church folks, you're crazy and left. And we, we just sort of said, well, you know, they're not serious. They're not sold they didn't out. Get it. Not it's just, uh, that's, that's a really, really bad narrative, you know? Yeah. I mean, what, what an unfortunate, and it's happened plenty of times when I'm growing up in different contexts is someone does something really quote unquote courageous or whatever, in terms of making a stand for something, uh, which is for the good of the context that you're in. And then that's uses the standard for a bunch of other people who then are make are being told because and maybe there's someone who doesn't want to budge as much or not as willing and say, no, 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 I need to do this. This is important to me. They go, well, it was important to him. It was important to John, but he did it because right. this mattered more. So where are right. you? If you choose to do that, then you're showing that your commitment and your heart and your whatever is not quite where it should be, right. which is really unfortunate. And I, yeah. a lot of people, I've talked to many people who have lost so many opportunities that lead to just different things in their lives because they ended up choosing something that ended up burning them in the end, mm -hmm. um, which is really unfortunate. And it's with the best intention that they choose it. Yeah. It's with the best intention that the advice is given usually to do that. Yeah. I want to step back one step further because I'm thinking now I'm, I'm interpreting that time as me, be, say I'm in charge of that group. So I'm now sure. the campus pastor and I've got someone like you, I've got Austin who's got a Tuesday night conflict if I am an insecure, fearful, scarcity-minded leader, and I look out on a Tuesday night and you're missing, mm. it hurts me. It, it threatens me. It, it makes me feel less than. I am now suddenly not successful. My, my Tuesday night midweek is not so riveting that Austin's going to just drop everything in a tent right. no matter what. Like There's all these judgments against me as a leader 
and I exist in a system by which I'll be judged on this very thing. So I'm going to have to report to whoever I'm who is over is over me in this mm-hmm. in the structure for why is your attendance down? Why why aren't more people coming on Tuesday nights? Well, there's so many of these little measurements, and so I'm thinking about what type of what type of leader in that context would have the courage, the, the self-assuredness, the confidence to look out and go, Austin's missing. I wonder if he's okay. Right. Instead of what does this say about me as a leader? And sadly, mm-hmm. I can say that many times as an insecure young leader trying to prove, I oftentimes used it more as like, hey, no, I won't stand for this. I'm going to be the prophet and the bold guy. And that's that's really, really, really a devastating mentality that is hard to fight. I, I don't see many people in that system able to fight that system. It's really yeah. hard. I mean, I mean, and going back to what you said about the 17 phone calls, there is a, there's a context where like, if you all of a sudden drop off the face of the earth for two weeks and are nothing, there's no contact. I mean, even then 17 phone calls, maybe a lot, but in the best case <laughs> scenario, it's like, oh, in the most genuine context you can think of, it's, oh, these 17 people are calling me, genuinely asking, hey, are you good? I haven't seen you in two weeks. Right. To miss one and get 17 saying, yo, where are you at? Are you good? Is much more of a, obviously, a red flag. <laughs> um, so that's just as wild to me. 17. I thought my one was bad. <laughs> well, but remember, no, no cell phones, and it wasn't 17 different people. I'm sure there was at least one oh, that sure. called five times and one that's, you know. Yeah. But yes, you're exactly right. By, by just looking at the scale of it, 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 is, it is a red flag for sure. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about, we, we've touched on this a little bit, but the evangelization aspect of campus culture, campus ministry culture, which, I mean, for those who don't know, evangelization uh, is just the reaching out to and sharing of God and the Bible to get someone to church, basically. That, that was a very elementary definition, but... Yeah, recruiting. Um, recruiting. recruiting. There you go. For some context, our church organization, which is international with different regions all over the place, when it first started, and for, for decades, even now, one of its biggest venues through which new members and new converts were made for our church were through college campuses. That was where the, the hot spot was for getting new people, because it's all these people who are not in a bad way, just they're people looking for a direction in life, and here we have an answer for you. Here you go. Which it, it's for many people, regardless of their issues with our church, that was a great point in their life because it's where they found God. It's where they're introduced. So there's a definite positive to that. But there is, in my experience, a problem when there's an expectation. And we talked about this last episode in terms of just church ministries themselves. When there is a pressure and an expectation of the number of people you are inviting and reaching out to and quote-unquote recruiting and bringing to a church service, a midweek lesson, um, and in my book, I talk about this cold, we call it cold contact sharing, which you go out on campus with a partner usually, and you look around with your binoculars now, but you look around and you say, that guy looks good. He's setting his homework out a table by himself. Go over to him, introduce yourself. And the goal is to, with, with once again, good intention yeah. to Get as familiar as you can with them in a minute so that you can get to a place where you can invite them to whatever church event you have going on next. Yeah. And many people I know have been 
reached out to and found God through that. Yeah, um, I would. Yeah, but what it resulted in from what I experienced and what I witnessed was a deep-seated inauthenticity and agendization, if that's a word, of those relationships that you're, these people you're meeting for the first time, it's, oh, I want to be your friend if you're coming to church. And if the answer is no, then okay, bye. You spent five minutes talking to me, interested in me, and now I said, no, you're gone, next person. Sure. And then let's say someone says, yeah, I'll go to church with you for this Sunday. And they come around for two weeks and you're texting them every day and you're talking with them about the Bible and God and really getting to know them. And week three, you're like, ah, you know, I'm not really feeling it. I'm not going to come anymore. Oftentimes, minus the occasional exception, you wouldn't contact them again, except six months out when you say, hey, thinking of you, you want to come to church again. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you, just once again, experiences, <laughs> perspectives, give us the scoop. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's such a, a point of conflict in me because I simultaneously applaud the courage and the boldness that it takes for someone to walk up to anybody and just yeah. talk to anything. Mm-hmm. And then I'm so creeped out by <laughs> the fact that <laughs> I did it so much and so did all my peers. And I mean, the, when we talk about the, the example setting, I had this thought when we were talking about like the, the template that's set for everybody else, like, oh, that guy was bold, therefore you should be as bold. Like it's, it's this spiritual grading on a curve. It's like yes. <laughs> the, the boldest among us was the one that would be mentioned in Sunday service. There was a story about this one guy who uh, I just kind of idolized, man, I love this dude. He was an older guy. He's like a big brother to me. And yeah. all the younger guys just emulated him in every way, the way he talked to people, the way he just dynamic, he's a great basketball player. And, and there was just this legend of him where someone had a class with him. Like another member of the church had a class at UCLA. And they said this guy was legendary because he would, he would sit in class and he would, he would make sure that he sat in between two people every time. <laughs> and this person who was telling the story would sit sort of in, you know, these big lecture halls, like more 100, oh, yeah. like in the back, you know, and, and this guy was basically confessing in a sense, like, man, I'm not as bold as this person. I wish I was more like them. Well, this person was sitting between two people and he said, without fail, would turn to the right, invite this person to church, turn to the left, invite this person to church, and then take notes for the lecture. And it was just like, and he was always yeah. bringing people and he was, you know, and so th- I mean, this story is told many, many, many times. There were times where, you know, I made it through a long day. And this one time I was two in the morning, I was coming back from studying and I had this guilt that I hadn't invited anybody to church. Mm. And I walked up to somebody on the corner of Gailey and Strathmore, this poor guy. And I said, Hey, excuse me. He's like, jumped back. And I go, (laughs) Hey, uh, I know this might be weird, but I want to invite you to church. And he actually came and joined the church. So it's like, yeah. And he, he would probably, at least back then, I haven't talked to him in many years, probably say, man, it was a huge turning point in my life. Like everything changed and, Mm -hmm. and mostly positive. So the, the efficacy of it can, can be questioned, but I'll tell you as an individual, I remember just the, the lack of comfort I felt everywhere I went, every, every room I was in, every coffee shop, every lecture hall, anytime I was around anyone, I felt like I'm supposed to be inviting these people to church. Like, how dare I not, how dare I not share this with them? That was the sense so there was some of it that was intrinsic. There was, I mean, it's very easy to talk about a movie you like or, you know, a, a song yeah. you're into, food. But this was very external. This is very, I feel pressure. I need to, and as a leader, I need to set an example. And so I always mm-hmm. felt eyes on me. And it, to your point, it puts constant pressure on you. I was never at ease. Yeah. The opposite of being at ease is dis-ease, like disease. Like you feel like, oh, yeah. like you know. Yeah. 
the short-term love to people, like, oh, I'll, I'll give you everything as long as you're interested in yeah. joining the church. And then that example setting, this constant pressure of trying to be the bold one. Like, you know, sometimes we'd be like, hey, you walk up to the person who scares you the most and go talk to them about Jesus. Okay, all right, you know. <laughs> it, it's Yeah. So it was, it was so, such a part of our culture uh, that... I mean, the, the most dramatic one beyond the two in the morning one is I remember I broke my ankle and I was just walking around on crutches on a hot day trying to invite people to church because I didn't uh, have anyone coming. Hey, you, please. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of um, th- there's a lot about it that's off-putting, that's insincere, that's inauthentic. And I find my when I look back, I think I wish I would have reserved, if we're going to call it evangelism, to the parts where it just bubbled out of me from a desire. Like, I really love mm-hmm. this. I want to share it with you. That would be beautiful. Yeah. But most of the time that wasn't the case. Most of the time it was like, I got to get a visitor to church because that's the expectation, you know, whole different way of thinking. There's, you hit on the head there. There's such a nuance because it's a contrast of the way it's presented and the way it should be. It's not all bad in the way it is. It's just the perspective and the, the lens through which we are approaching it, I believe is off the mark. Hmm. And I mean, this is not even important to say, but I thought it crossed my mind when you were talking about being at dis-ease and, and looking around and always feel pressure wherever you were. I don't know why, but I thought of the Loki quote from Marvel when he said, I'm burdened with glorious purpose. <laughs> I'm like, that's very accurate. You feel that's it. Burdened with glorious purpose. Well, if you're really, if you're 19, 20, 21, and you're really convinced that, if these people don't come to your group, they're going to die and burn in hell. Like that's On the is wrong path. And it's my choice to veer them the right way. I, how can I not? I mean, I'd be sitting in a movie theater going, I should probably stand up and <laughs> yell at these people right now. Yeah. Speaking it's Marvel. more important than the movie. The movie's not nearly as important as this mission is. Yes. But I'll tell you, and this, is, this connects to, I, I've seen on occasion, there's certain, there's certain really creepy posts on, on Twitter and of, of these like, modern day Christian influencer types who like will stand up in the middle of a gym and yell, you know, I'm going to, you're going to be held accountable for what you saw on this day. And you didn't listen to me. And when I see that, I see myself in that person. And I remember Mm -hmm. at some point I'm evangelizing for myself. I'm doing this so that I can feel good about myself. I can Mm -hmm. lay my head on the pillow and go, God, I was a warrior today. I did it. No one listened to you. I'm like Jonah. I told, I talked to the whole city. I got spit out of the belly of the, the whale on the beach. I prophesied it. And so at some point it becomes this disease of self affirmation of like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And it's not even about them anymore. And right. that's when it is, it's, it's a disease. It's, it's bad. It's really bad. It's unhealthy. I, I fulfilled my part. I checked my box for today. Yeah. I'm good. Whatever's on yeah. them is on them, but I did it. I been for, because of that, I feel content with myself. Yeah. I feel like I have achieved what I need to do. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that nuance, you, you slightly painted that picture of what it could be. And it's that authenticity of being, if you're in an environment where let's say a church environment that doesn't pressure you to do that, but just fills you up with the grace of God, with the love of God, with the Holy spirit, with whatever. So you, to the point where you're just bursting at the seams with the stuff, cause it makes you, it fills you so genuinely, mm-hmm. which and sometimes I believe we did believe that. And there were glimpses of that, but I think in, comparison to how we could feel if you took some college students who were like I'm, i feel it every day and showed them the potential that it could be they would go wow i was feeling almost nothing 
mm. because of everything that was surrounding it. Yeah. Um, in terms of the level that we're really not just preaching, but giving people about God's grace. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. It's in- all encompassing. It's way more powerful than, than anything you can do to outdo it with the love. It's like, no, no, it's not conditional. It's unconditional. What does that mean? We're not going to say that in a song. Unconditional means no conditions. Mm. When you hear that and you know that and you are going to a place where every week on Sunday you're being told that, dude, you need to come here and hear this. Come with me. Yeah. And then when the emphasis is put on relationship with God, how his love is, is expressed through relationship, it's, dude, you come to your church and hear this. Oh, you don't want to hear church? Okay, well, let's, let's just, you want to have lunch sometime? I'd love to talk to you just as a person get to know you because I see God through you and experienced everywhere. Mm. And I think sometimes we can unintentionally, but kind of intentionally, but not with the bad context, seclude God and quarantine him to a church to make it the emphasis on, oh, this building has it, so get him here. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, dude, every person has God. Go experience them in every single person differently. Absolutely. Different mindset. Absolutely. So, so we talk about the rigidity of the schedule. We talk about the pressure of evangelizing and all this, I don't know, the word is guys, stringency maybe. Sure. This all, the title once again is titled Running on Empty. And my experience, it took me about a year and a half uh, one and a half school years to find myself. I missed that first midweek. And based on that response, it was meant maybe to persuade me to come back. All it did was, all right, I think I'm sure. okay. Sure. Uh, I'm going to back up a little bit. And that was the beginning of the end for me. It was, I was like, I'm pretty much, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to take a step back. And I was really experiencing, maybe not for the first time, but for the first time in totality, spiritual burnout. I was like, yeah. this is too much for me. I was already having a lot of problems at my home church. I come here and it's even worse. And I am at my max. Yeah. I want to know, do you have any experience with spiritual burnout, either firsthand or witnessing it? Sure. And why do you think it happens? Well, I want to say to you in, in that moment where you came to that realization and you're surrounded by people from the same church or your roommates, it must have been so deep for you to have paid the social cost of distancing yourself, right? Yeah, that's you, you, a huge aspect. Yeah, I mean, you, it was so deep that you're like, I will even be alienated from my roommates. Yeah, that's how that's how deeply I feel this. So I I applaud you, and you have my respect for having <laughs> gone through that. The burnout, absolutely. The thing that I'm most that's most acute in my mind and my spirit when I think about that is having left the church deliberately in 2006 in Sacramento and then started going to another church entirely, not affiliated at all. Yeah. And the last couple of years haven't really been going to church other than previously doing a lot of music and I had friends and it was, I could, I could never extract myself and I never felt so strong. Like I'm not anti-church. I'm actually wildly pro church because I yeah. think when done right, it's, it's, to quote Nadia Boltz Weber, one of my favorite preachers, she's this Lutheran minister. She's so good. She calls it a weight-bearing structure. Like religion bears the weight where we can't handle when there's a death, when there's a birth, when there's mm. big life events like this. We can't just we can't just demolish it. You know, it just has to be protected by the right folks. So yeah. along those lines, and and even that thought only I only got there by 
leaving my spiritual burnout and coming back to at least a place where I feel like I'm more natural about all the things that, I, that I'm coming to believe or evolving in my belief. But where burnout comes from is when it's all external and not internal. It's, it's the mm-hmm. opposite of inspiration or animation. I love the word animation because anime, the spirit, the soul is at the root of it. Yeah. When someone's animated, it's like there's something bubbling out from inside you. There's, there's a heart, there's a passion, there's a gut, there's a thing. And that's the opposite of burnout because it's burning inside of you versus this external. And, and everything we just described, we don't need to get into how we burn out. It's so obvious. Oh, sure. But one of the signs to me was having left the church, reading scripture, reading the Bible, and in as I'm looking at the words on the page, I'm hearing voices of other people in my head. I'm hearing preachers. I'm hearing the guy who's in charge of our church. I'm hearing someone who discipled me. Like their literal voices are in my head. Yeah. And it took years for me to extract that. So I remember reading one time and hearing my own voice, which I would say is the voice of God. Like meaning yeah. it's all in us. The kingdom is within you. All this stuff. Like when Jesus said the kingdom is within you, he wasn't talking to converted people. He was like, it's everywhere. It's mm-hmm. in you. Just like stop looking around. And so the spiritual burnout is real. The the remedy, internal and natural versus external and pressure and methodology. And even leaving the church, I realized I was so disorienting. Maybe you experienced some of this because I realized I was so attached to the methods of our church. I, mm-hmm. I was at this new church like, wait, we don't have midweek? Wait, we don't have, th-. like there's all these things we did yeah. that I was attached to. And I realized, oh, that became my gospel. The method was what, I was like someone who, like I was raised on vitamins. Like that's, no, yeah. vitamins are just meant to supplement. You're, you should have your own meal. And so it's really burnout and the opposite of it, of burnout is is intake for yourself, for your own soul, intrinsic, internal, animation, inspiration. Uh, and I found that in so many and podcasts. Podcasts were a lifesaver for me. Yes. <laughs> New authors. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Gregory Bull, Richard Rohr, Nadia Boltz-Weber, even yes. Rob Bell. Uh, I mean, going. I'm, I'm Carl Jung right now. I'm getting to some crazy philosophical stuff. <laughs> um, music. It's, it, it means something new to me now more than it ever has before. Uh, where I, music was something I used versus like to get things versus it being a thing that's inside of me that is everywhere. Like there's so mm. many other ways that I, that I try to fight burnout, but yeah, that's, I relate big time. You mean you nailed it. I want to have you say something again, because you said okay. this on the phone and that night, two nights ago, I was at my parents' house and I shared that. And they went, wow, that is powerful. So I want you okay. to emphasize this again about reading scripture and the voices you heard. Just say okay. that all again, because it was so good. When I left the church, I continued reading the Bible. I was continuing to pursue my relationship with God, my beliefs. And part of that was reading scripture, reading scripture. And I recognized many, many, many months after having left the church that when I would read scripture, I would hear the voice, the actual voice of the leader of the church in my head. I wouldn't hear my own voice. I wouldn't hear a vague voice. Maybe that's the voice of God. I heard the voice of the leader of the church in my head. And it took me a long time of practice and reading and prayer, just praying and thinking and meditating before I stopped hearing that voice, before that was the first and only voice that I attached to scripture. So I, 
I had to become extracted from it. I had to, by just practice and repetition, learn and listen for other voices and ultimately became my own voice, which I, again, attribute to that's the voice of God. That's the voice of eternity Mm -hmm. inside of me. But it just shows that there was a conditioning happening. Yeah. That, That the repetition from the same person, the same people preaching Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Bible talk, like that conditioning of your brain connected to scripture. It was very hard to untangle that, but it is a sign of actual conditioning that that repetition caused the voice in my head to be that of a man, that of a person. And let's face it, it was all men. Our church was patriarchal, all men, all dynamic, powerful, you know, very persuasive people at the pulpit. Those were the voices in my head that it took years to get out. And that can be taken and applied in so many different contexts as if as through not just the voices, but through the lens that mm. those voices tell you are as the way to read this certain scripture is the emphasis on that word, not that word in that scripture. So yeah. many things that are, I just love that metaphor. I've never heard that before, but it's, it, it resonates with me and I'm, it's so relatable, but yet when those things you never quite pinpoint, like, Oh yeah, gosh, yeah. that's so yeah. true. But anyway, yeah. I, I love that you said that before. So how to make you say Good. it again, just <laughs> to get to drill into people's heads. Um, okay. So, I have two more questions for you. The yeah. first is, are there any mindsets or practices that you adhered to during your time in campus as a student or as a leader that you look back and wish you would approach differently? Yeah, there's two. One is I would, I would put a lot more emphasis on the individuals and their families. Hmm. So it's really one thing. So first of all, the individual, like I would, I would give a lot more respect for the, the person the Austin who is in my ministry versus Austin being a member of my congregation and, you know, playing ball with like everybody else and becoming part of the machine. And so so I, I, I can think of several conversations that haunt me. They literally haunt me. I think of them late at night sometimes where Hmm. I was counseling people to make decisions that supported the church over their own well-being, meaning, plans. Someone wanted to move to New York because they had family there, but you know, we didn't want to lose any members and they were an important part of our congregation. So I couldn't mandate that they stay, but I had authority over their lives that they gave me. Right. And I have many, many situations where I wish I could have a redo and say, you know what? Move to New York. That sounds like a good move for you. So that that's one, just that example. But then also the families. When you're in campus ministry and you are suddenly thrust in this authority over these people when you're when you're in charge they're giving you this authority and you've maybe earned some of it by being respectful or respectable or loving or all those different things and i realize now what a what a incredible incredible tool and commodity and responsibility that was and if i could redo some things i would use that to bring people's families into the discussion more quite often Mm -hmm. there was almost a competitiveness between me and these kids' parents, because the, the, you know, rightfully so, like, wait, you're part of some church, and there's some guy who's telling you what to do all the time, and yeah, and I often saw that as acrimonious and contentious, whereas I could have been, you know, like, let me meet your parents, let me, let's have them over, and you know, it wasn't going to happen all the time, and there sure. were sometimes we did that, and the times we did, I'm so grateful, and yeah. but other times, I again, insecure, young, trying to prove myself, was fighting for position in a sense and like the church matters and you do what the church wants and if your parents are against it then something's wrong with them and they need to see things your way right so it's just fighting against that natural order the way 
the universe God has designed people to be born into families who care about them, who birth them and send them off. Like, I would like to honor that more. I, I wish I would have considered that more. And of course, I'm a father of three adult children, so I see things differently now. Yeah, it, it all comes around to, or one of the things it comes down to is being able to realize that God's got them. God works in other places than just under your jurisdiction. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. And God, no matter what we're taught to believe, God is not working less over there or worse over there, or there's not as much of him over there. Like, no, he's in that family. He put him in that very intentionally. And if it's a bad situation, he has a right outcome for him. It's a, if it's a great situation, then give him the credit and let him work. Yeah. Hands off. Absolutely. You don't need to, if they come to you, then you have your zone of influence and work with work for me in there. But outside yeah. your zone, don't try to pull them in as if I, I as God can't work outside. Right? Right. Right. Very well Absolutely. said. Very well said. And last question, the question I ask every guest, this podcast and my book are all about our crumpled papers, which is an idea, or it's a metaphor for the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty but at some point realized we needed to reevaluate our perspective on. What is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn or gain a new understanding of? Self-denial is is a double-edged sword. Hmm. And often the answer that I would give to myself or even my kids when they were young, if they're struggling mentally or in life, that step one is deny yourself carry your cross. Someone else has it worse. Tough enough. Yeah. Uh, this too will pass. Even that is a little bit of a, you know, get over it kind of thing. Sure. And it's self-denial can be very powerful character, having character and saying, you know what? I feel, I feel a little sick right now, or I feel a little under the weather, but I'm going to show some extra attention to this person in my life or that person who's hurting, like that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Selflessness can be amazing, but it can also be so devastating because you can lose yourself. You can empty yourself. And, and that's, that's one, but it kind of connects to the other thing, the, the personal interpretation of scripture or anything, you know, there's having a rigid interpretation of one way of, of saying, this is what the scripture says. I would counsel anybody to run away from anybody that's that mm-hmm. certain. Just run away. They nobody is that certain. They yeah. they might be convinced they are, but I have come to love the wrestling. I've come to love the mystery. I've come to realize that when I was younger, I again to use the word intoxicating, it was intoxicating to have all the answers. It was so good. It was so good to know everything. Yeah. Each <laughs> on an eternal scale. But I've come to see that the beauty's in the mystery. The beauty is in the words, I don't know. I don't know. What happens after we die? I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. There's some people who think this, some people who think this. And I've come to see that if you're really going to be a believer in God and the universe and anything eternal, you need to have an expansive view, not, not a, a, a minimizing view. And anything, this connects to it too. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, 10 times out of 10, he stood with the outsider. 10 yes. times out of 10. And unfortunately in America especially, Christians tend to be the insiders. We have we have the business, we have the electorate, we have the music, we have the products, we have the themes. And it's like who who really are we going to say we're the outsider? 10 times out of 10, Jesus was executed by the state because he stood with the outsiders. 
the state murdered him because he refused to say, yeah, I want to perpetuate the power structure as it currently is. He was such a threat. He was such a threat that they had to just kill him. Like, yeah. you got to do it with this guy. So when I have a contrarian point of view about church or religion or who, people on the outside, I, I have, I'm now much more bold to just be very comfortable and say, nope, I, I would rather be wrong, including people, than feel like I'm right, excluding people. That's mm. absolutely one of my crumpled papers for sure. And, and I'm still learning. I'm still learning. That goes right into something that I've said a couple of times is, I mean, I've heard said a couple and I agree with too, and I've said, but it's, I would much rather be wrong for supporting the individual mm. than being wrong for supporting the system. Yeah. And that goes into a whole different thing, but it kind of aligns yeah. in certain ways too. Absolutely. Very well said. Um, anything you want to add anywhere or anything you want to say, or are you good? The last thing I thought about this when we were talking about evangelizing, I recognize that my story is my story. And there are some folks, plenty of folks who didn't experience it the way that I did. You know, I, I yeah. would talk to some people who say, man, I walked around campus. I didn't feel any of that pressure. I just looked for opportunities to invite people to church. And I'm like, more power to you, man. Sure. I wish I was that way. <laughs> And so, you know, people who are close with me who might think, uh, I didn't see it that way, or people I've lost touch with in the church, or I, I, I hold them in high regard. I really do. And along the lines of like hearing that voice in my head with scripture, there, there have been, I've had to distance myself to some folks who are still really deeply embedded within the church that we came from, because it's just very difficult for me personally to get entangled emotionally in some of the things that they're experiencing. And, and there's a shared language that we no longer have that's difficult, but mm. I still cherish deeply the relationships and the people because it's i don't look negatively at the people at all i just see the the system yeah. as having perpetuated some things that it just it did a number on a lot of folks myself included well said john this conversation was was, was so it's exactly what i wanted to portray in having this conversation so i'm so glad that you were the one that was willing to do this i'm so glad we got in contact so thank you for being on Thank you for having this talk. It was, it was awesome. Thank you. Guys, that's it for this episode. Until next time, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.